throw that word around loosely. Uh, you guys are my family. Um, and I, I think it should go without saying, but I just want to say thank you to Mike and Julie for inviting me not just to share at More Love, More Power, but also to share here on Sunday morning. You know, at our church, we take this podium, this pulpit very seriously. We just don't invite any old scoundrel to come and share with our people. So whenever I get an invitation to preach, I always assumed uh, that uh, you take that seriously and you did so with with much prayer. But here's what I also say about your pastors. You may not know this because most people in a local church don't get outside of their local church uh, much, particularly around the vineyard, but you have some of the finest pastors in the vineyard. And so would you just give them a hand? Give them a hand. For, for not only the ways that they serve you, but how they have been a blessing and continue to be a blessing to our movement. Uh, I consider Mike and Julie to be my spiritual siblings because I'm a son of this house. Um, 20 years ago, I wandered into this church, uh, and I haven't left, <laughs> right? I left, the, I left, you know, we went to plant, but I'm still in the vineyard, and God has done magnificent things in my life, largely because of my spiritual parents Uh, happy and die. And and I said uh, to them the other day that everything that I get to do, both in and outside of the movement, whether it's with music or ministry, uh, those seeds have either been planted or watered in this church. And the debt of gratitude that I have to them as my spiritual parents is really, really great. And so I'm honored to do that. And 12 years ago, myself, my wife, and 11 other people moved from this city to the south suburbs of Chicago to plant the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And so I bring you greetings this morning from my, my home church, and they send their love and blessing. Well, let me get to the word today, because I have the privilege of beginning a teaching series that we're simply calling Let There Be Light. And of course, in, in case you're making the connection, that's the same title as the conference. And so we want to continue what we started these last few days and begin this new teaching series, Let There Be Light. And the assumptions of a proclamation like that, Let There Be Light, are far-reaching, but, but minimally it assumes that there is darkness, that there is darkness everywhere. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Again, a bold proclamation, and where Jesus doesn't just mention what he's carrying, but he's talking about what he is. And so Jesus isn't just saying, I carry light and lots of it. Jesus says, I am the light and lots of it. It doesn't stop there, though, because Jesus says to his followers in Matthew chapter 5, and therefore he says to us, you are the salt of the earth. You skip down to verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So Jesus says, I am the light but that we also are light. Not that we carry light, but we are light, and we've been invited to extend and to continue the ministry of Jesus, which is also to say that we have been invited to extend a ministry of light. A ministry of light. And as we're invited into extending a ministry of light, What Jesus is basically talking about is good old-fashioned Christian distinctiveness. Good old-fashioned Christian distinctiveness. Which is to say that if you work someplace for 10 years and you invite your friend to church and they say, you go to church. (laughs) You probably haven't been enlightened in that space. (laughs) 
Because salt is distinct. It flavors. Light stands out. In fact, darkness and light can't coexist. So when light shows up, it is distinct. It is unique. In fact, it is disruptive. It is often unwelcome. And so Jesus is inviting us into a Christian distinctiveness that really is unpopular in our current cultural climate. But this is who we are. It's not just what we carry, it's who we are. And so Jesus invites us to be agents of kingdom change, agents of Christian hope. And so the goal of this series is to help us envision how God wants us to show up well as lights in a dark place. I'll say that again. The goal of this series, since they let me start it, <laughs> is to help us envision how God wants us to show up well as lights in a dark place. Now let me issue a warning at the outset. That sounds real good on paper, right? But if you're going to go about turning on the light in dark places, just expect to get into some trouble. I should tell you, if you want to leave, you can leave now. But if you're going to stay, just expect that there will be trouble. One of my heroes is John Lewis, the late John Lewis. And John Lewis was the U.S. representative for the 5th District. Somebody get that. 5th District, Georgia, the late 80s until he died last year. John was one of the original freedom writers, marched with Dr. King, and was one of the key figures of the famous nonviolent civil rights movement, the 1950s and 60s. In an interview, John Lewis talked about how as a boy he would look at the world around him as he grew up in the Deep South, grew up in Alabama, and he would ask his parents about the signs that he would see as he walked about the town, the signs that were posted on the restrooms and on the water fountains and on various lunch counters. He said, Mama, Daddy, why does those signs say whites only? Why is the world around us as it is? Why do I got to ride on the back of the bus and why can't get on the front? And he said that his parents would just matter-of-factly say to him, John, that's just the way it is. And out of great concern for his safety and out of great concern for his life as a young black boy growing up in the Jim Crow South, they would say to him, John, whatever you do, son, whatever you do, don't get in the way, John. Don't make waves, son. Don't make trouble. Don't get into trouble. Well, the only problem with that is that this young boy, John Lewis, had been absorbing the words of civil rights activists. And John Lewis says that Dr. King and Rosa Parks had inspired him rather than to stay out of trouble, but to get into trouble. The likes of which he would call good trouble. He'd been inspired, he'd been stirred up to not run away from trouble, but to run toward the trouble, but he calls it good trouble. And he just, just didn't stop there. He and his friends would imagine ways of raising up a whole new generation of young people that would decide also to get into good trouble and what he would call necessary trouble to make this world a better place, not just for some folks, but for everybody. But for everybody. And I'm going to tell you, as in, a, in my adult life, I've been gripped in a profound way by these heroes. I've been inspired by the civil rights movement. 
and other movements like it, and other heroes like John Lewis, who thought that freedom couldn't wait. There was an urgency to this thing that pressed them toward what they were after. And people died, and people were imprisoned, and people's livelihoods were threatened, and their families were threatened. They sacrificed a lot. And I shudder to think, hear me clearly, I shudder to think about what my life would be like as a black man in America. If these guys had decided, rather than going toward the trouble, to run away from it. I shudder to think. Now, let me just say, too, just to provide some context, you're listening to a rules guy this morning, right? You're not listening to a rebel, right? I'm an Enneagram one, like, I enjoy rules, and not only do I enjoy rules, I like it very much when other people follow the rules. I say that because many of you are the same way. And so there's, there's a rub when you hear me talking about getting into trouble, like, I feel that same rub. I like to follow the rules, I don't like to make waves, until I remember the fact that a lot of what is and a lot of what has been wrong with the world has been perfectly legal. Like a few hundred years ago, you could own me and like, that would be okay. Apartheid was legal, perfectly legal. The Holocaust was perfectly okay with a lot of the world. And even many things that are wrong with this world that are categorically like darkness are perfectly legal. And they stay legal and they stay okay until somebody stands up and says, that's not right. Until somebody stands up and says, that is darkness. And it needs to be cast out. And I can't shake this whole idea of getting into trouble, even as a rules guy. Because I feel like what we're invited into is good trouble. And I consider what the implications might be for those of us who are kingdom people called to continue the ministry of Jesus, which is a ministry of light, a ministry that seeks to preach the gospel and heal the sick and set the captives free to be that distinctive salt and light to push back the kingdom of darkness, I wonder if we're called to be kingdom troublemakers. Now, some of you get a little too excited about being troublemakers, and for you, I say, calm down. (laughs) But this is good trouble. And of course, there's a spiritual component to this, but there's also a human factor that is rooted in God's heart to see people saved and to walk in freedom. And so I believe that if we're to continue the ministry of Jesus, motivated by his mission to loosen the chains off the hearts and minds, and even the actual wrists and ankles of those who are practically enslaved by all manner of imprisoning forces, both natural and spiritual, we must engage a ministry of light. And so because of that, I get to kick off this series with a message that I'm simply calling the surprising importance of good trouble. The surprising importance of good trouble. I want you to meet me this morning in Acts chapter 16. If you're old school, you've got a Bible, turn there with me. I won't be at all offended if you are following along on your phone or your tablet. We'll also be putting the uh, scriptures up on the screen. Acts chapter 16, while you find it, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth. 
Thank you for this opportunity I have to share with your people today. Show us how to get in trouble for you. Would you release the gift of faith this morning? Would you release the gift of courage this morning? May you give us eyes to see the world from heaven's vantage, to see what you see, to be bothered by the things you're bothered by, to be moved to action. Help us to get into good trouble. May the book come alive to us today as we open the scriptures. Put power on these words you've given me to speak. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 16, I'll start at verse 16. Luke writes, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She was a fortune teller. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. That's what an inspiring text this morning, right? (laughs) This is a fascinating story. One that illustrates well what we are likely to find as we partner with Jesus to set the captives free, right? The story gives us a window into what could happen if we go about turning on the light in dark places. This window warns us about what we might encounter as we partner with Jesus in his ministry of light to go loosening the shackles off of wrists and opening cages so that the captives can be set free, like this gives us a picture, right? As we walk through this text this morning, I want to identify at least four reasons why getting into good trouble is important, and more than important, church, it's necessary as we continue the ministry of light. First reason is that there are captives Everywhere. The reason this is important, the primary reason this is important and necessary is because there are captives everywhere. There is oppression and therefore the oppressed everywhere we go. And if you have eyes to see it, and if you are interruptible enough to see what's going on around you, you will see as Paul saw and Silas saw, that there are captors everywhere. The scriptures tell us that there was a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. And so, and she encountered Paul and Silas on their ministry sort of journeys. She accosts them with like these words of adoration and praise. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell us how to be saved. But the scripture tells us this goes on day after day, and Paul gets exasperated and casts the demon out, and the demon leaves her, right? Now, notice what this text doesn't say. 
It doesn't say that Paul and Silas were moved with compassion. And because they had such a burden to see this girl free, they stop what they're doing and they cast the devil out. It does not say that. What it says is that Paul was annoyed. Because what started as just a simple person like preachers, we listen, I, maybe you don't know, don't let this leave the room, but uh, we like to hear that we're mighty men and women of God. We like to hear it. And so what started out is, man, you guys are preaching the word. Oh, you guys are mighty men of God. He said, well, yeah, I did preach pretty well, right? <laughs> but, but the second time and then the third time, and as the day wore on, Paul just, he just sort of got annoyed. He got annoyed by it. It seems so unspiritual how this all starts, but I believe that it is. Because I believe kingdom people can see annoyances as opportunities. That as we're filled with the Spirit of God, the things that bother God start to bother us. The, the things that agitate the kingdom of light, if light lives in us, if we are the light, would begin to bother us if we pay attention, if we have an ear to heaven, if we're in touch with what the Spirit is doing and how he wants us to respond. My childhood pastor, Pastor Turner, used to say all the time that the things that annoy you most about the world are often what God has called you to fix about the world. <laughs> the things that annoy you most with your intentional God wiring the things that bug you the most can be if you don't let that get corrupted it can be what God is calling you to fix in the world and this is so true in my life that just some stuff I can't witness without it upsetting me there's some things I can't see and not act there's some things I can't hear and not double back and say, what'd you say? There's certain types of people in this world that I can't stand to see mistreated, particularly the powerless, particularly the voiceless. I, I, there's something wells up within me the way my kingdom light status works that can't, won't let me walk by it. It won't let me ignore it. I'm interruptible in that way. And I wonder how God has wired you. What are those things that you can't see without getting involved? But here's what I know. You can, you can ignore that enough. Your eyes can adjust, as one of the speakers said, to the darkness to where you just get comfortable with things you're not supposed to be comfortable with. You get comfortable in the darkness. You could see things that used to bother and used, and used to disrupt you so much that you spring into action, but over time, it just fades into the background. Paul took note that she wasn't just an annoying young woman, but this woman was under demonic influence, under demonic oppression. She was a captive and walking in the power and authority of the Spirit freed this woman from her prison. And so my question to you is, who are the captives in your world? Where you work and where you live and where you go to school, who are 
the captives. Who are those bound by spiritual forces, bound by systematic forces, natural forces around them? Who are they? And some of you will say, I don't know. Because you, you're in your own world. You're worried about your own problems. But we are the light. The kingdom has broken in. And we're to partner with it. And so if you can't answer that question, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But we got some work to do. Who are the captives in your world? Because often it's those annoying, bothersome things. Those annoying, bothersome people who you might conclude that they are making life a living hell for others, but you haven't considered that they're simply a person who might just be bound by hell themselves. And when you see it that way, it changes the ballgame. It's new math. Who are the oppressed? Who are the captives in your world? Because if there are captives everywhere, what must also be true? There are captors everywhere. If there are oppressed people everywhere, there must also be oppressors everywhere, both spiritual and natural. This woman was spiritually captive because she was under demonic influence. But she also happened to be actually enslaved because she was the property of someone else, which simply means she was not able to move about as she pleased, spiritually or naturally. She was doubly bound. And there was a connection between her spiritual bondage and her actual status as property of someone else, and this was, was a nightmare for her, but it was very profitable for the people who, who owned her. She was a fortune teller. And her unique strand of bondage made it profitable for her handlers, such that when she was liberated by the power of the Spirit, it became unprofitable then for those who held her captive, right? Scripture tells us in verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So what'd they do? They snatched Paul and Silas up, dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Now, this story illustrates something very, very powerful, and I don't want you to miss it. And it is this, that there is always those who are heavily invested in the captivity and the bondage of others. If you wonder why you get in trouble for turning on the light, it's because somebody's profiting from the darkness. There's something that can go on in the darkness that can't go on in the light that's profitable for somebody. So when you start going into dark places and turning on lights, that's where you get into trouble. The scriptures give us the enemy's job description to kill, to steal, and destroy. In other words, it's profitable for him, for his bottom line, for the kingdom of darkness, his bottom line, it's profitable for you to be a mess and for you to be dependent on broken and toxic people and, and substances and to be controlled by fear and anxiety. It's profitable for the kingdom of darkness. Can I press a little deeper? It's also profitable for some of the humans around you to, for you to stay broken. And I don't 
don't know who needs to hear this sweaty preacher say this this morning, but would you look around the room of your life and see who's profiting from your unique strand of brokenness? See who might be in active and passive ways sabotaging freedom for you because it's somehow profitable for, the, for you to stay, like, tied up. I don't know who needs to hear this, but God wants you free. And somebody else needs to hear that your real friends want you free. Your real friends aren't enabling you to be a mess. They're not financing your demise. They don't profit or benefit from your codependence and toxicity. They do not. They should not. So one thing we learn is that why it's so hard to get free and stay free. While there's always trouble, it's because somebody's profiting from the darkness. Somebody's making money in the porn industry, right? It'll never go away. It's too much money to be had. It's too much profit. And whether it's big tobacco or the drug, dr drugs and substances, somebody's living real good. Campaigns of fear uh, that, 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 that fuel anxiety and all, somebody's profiting. These things will always be with us. This is the deep darkness that we're called to eradicate. And here's what else we should know. That these big, ugly, dark things that make life miserable for the world come against the kingdom of light. They don't deal with themselves. Racism and systematic and institutional oppression will not wake up one day and go, you know, we had a good run. <laughs> We've destroyed enough. Let's just turn it in. That stuff won't unseat itself. All the systems and things that move folks toward sexual addiction, strongholds, they don't, they don't cast themselves out. All these things that want to sit on God's throne, they don't dethrone themselves. Abusers and toxic, they don't stop abusing by themselves. No, only a force that is stronger. Only a force that is more audacious and indignant and courageous pushes back against that darkness and says no more. Darkness doesn't cast itself out. Only the light can do that. Amen. You say, preacher, what's your point? Well, my point is when the carriers of light and the light of the world it's charged to go into the world and be distinct and to be categorically other. When it doesn't do its job at pushing back against the darkness, then darkness hangs around. Darkness does not cast itself out. Only the light can do that. And Paul grants this dear woman the best kind of freedom, but this passage reminds us because there will always be oppressors and because somebody will always benefit from that oppression, Therein lies the trouble. The third thing, there will always, there will always be trouble. 
Which is also to say that don't think for one second that you're going to go around turning on lights and loosening chains and opening up cages without trouble, without consequence. There will always be trouble. But Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, here on the earth you will have many trials, or there will always be trouble, but take heart because what? I have overcome, overcome, overcome the world. Which is also to say that there's no version of this kingdom life that is void of the good trouble. Which it also means that if, if everybody likes you, something's wrong. If everybody just loves your post and the hearts and the, if everybody just loves... If your political, like, reality doesn't make somebody think you're crazy, like, I don't think you're doing it right. <laughs> Christian distinctiveness, right? We're loosening chains. We're opening cages. There's no version of this where you don't get into trouble, particularly if you're doing right. But here's the deal. If you keep at it, if you don't shrink back, if you don't bend to the intimidators, fourth thing I see in this text is that there is often glory in the trouble. There's glory in the trouble. I don't know if you know how this story ends, but they get arrested and they get thrown in jail. Not just jail, but the jail within the jail. And they don't respond like I would respond. I'd want my phone call. I'd want an attorney. Like, <laughs> scriptures tell us that they get to worshiping Jesus. They get to praising God and singing those old songs. As something happens, the Spirit comes and shakes the place. The shaking is so violent that the, the, the shackles on their hands and feet are loosened. The shaking is so violent that the, the doors of the prisons swing open. And of course, all of this wakes the jailer. He sees the doors open. He sees the chains on the ground. He assumes that these men have escaped and he goes to take his own life. But Paul and Silas say, bro, put that down. We're all here. It's not that kind of party. There's somebody about to be loosed right now, but it's not, it's not you. It's not us. Verse 29 says, the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then they brought him out and asked, sirs, what must we do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. At that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Get this, verse 34. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. What a story. What a story. Despite the trouble, there's glory in it. Now, Paul got into this trouble because he decided that he was going to stop and set this slave girl free. And he ends up with a Holy Ghost setup where he's in position to bring this jailer and his whole family into a 
different kind of freedom there's glory in the trouble. Salvation came. Forgiveness came. Hope came. And this isn't glory for us. This is glory for God. It's the miraculous was put on display, which I understand is one of your values here. Salvation came to this man and on and on and on. The glory was God's and not Paul's or Silas's. His power was on display. His love was on display. His kingdom authority was on display. And though the, 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 sort of the, the nuts and bolts of the story was inconvenient, it, it was messy, no doubt embarrassing and clunky, God's glory was there in the midst of the trouble. And I just wonder, I wonder how we might be challenged to respond to this. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart even now. My guess is that he's highlighting places and people in your life where you're called to be kingdom light. My guess is that the Lord is convicting you, not condemning you, of all the things, all the ways you've gotten really well adjusted to the darkness around you in a way that neutralizes you from doing any kingdom good in that space. I wonder how you might be challenged to be like Paul and Silas. What's the Spirit doing? Some of you faces are flashing in your mind. Opportunities that you've missed to stand up and be a light places you've gotten too comfortable or too indifferent or too apathetic. Listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is holy conviction. And my prayer is that we would sit there and that we would be ruined, absolutely ruined as kingdom light, folks. And no portion of darkness in the world around us would be safe. Worship team can come out as I close this in prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Lord, you got in trouble for us. You took the blows, you took the hits for kingdom good to purchase our salvation. And you're calling us now to pay it forward calling us now to continue the ministry of light at great cost to ourselves. Lord, would you faithfully remind us that somebody came after us when we were a mess? That somebody saw us on a pointless road to nowhere And they put in the work to help us see the light. Lord, would you, would, you, would you help us be that for somebody else? Spirit, would you rest and move in this place? And as we worship you, would you give us specific 
instructions as to how we're supposed to take what we've heard today to our everyday workaday lives and be the light. Come Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, this time we're going to continue with worship. And these are just songs that have been set to music. And I've found that it is a fantastic way for us to respond. It's one thing to receive. It's another thing to respond to what the Lord has spoken. And I think that worship is a fantastic way to respond to what God has spoken. And so we're going to enter into a time of worship. And after a time of worship, we'll come back and close prayer and ministry.